What's up, ladies and gents? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we've got Steve McCoy of Small Circle, and he's talking to us about how to get the everyday people in the game. The disciple-making challenge of the Great Commission has zero exemptions. Every Christ follower is included. But how do we make this a reality in our local church where truck driver Ted and soccer mom Sally, that's everyday people, are confident enough to make disciples? The responsibility falls to leaders to equip and provide the equipment. The only way to create a culture of disciple-making in your local church is if you have a strategy that includes the everyday people. This session provides real tools, including the Small Circle app, which is specifically designed for the everyday person to be involved in disciple-making at an in-depth level. The great thing is you can download these tools for free, so make sure you go check that out when the episode is over. Let's listen to Steve as he teaches us on how to include the everyday people in our disciple-making culture. Here we go. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in this early session, and I uh, hope that you had a good rest last night or a good drive, depending on uh, what your location is. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm a lead pastor in Sarasota, Florida. Um, my wife is here. Uh, she grew up in northern Japan, and, uh, and that's why we're thawing out still in, uh, in, in Florida. Uh, if you are uh, did not come to our last session uh, last night, would you raise your hand? I just kind of want to get a feel for the room. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to do just a little recap to bring you in uh, to, to who we are. I'd like to pray as we begin this session, ask God to kind of clear our minds, open our hearts. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day here. And thank you, God, for navigating us in ways that we could never do from a human effort. So we depend on you. As we quiet our minds, all the things that uh, are trying to infiltrate the, the communications, the emails, the text, God, would you allow us to set that aside and hear from you because we depend on your distinctive guidance and your distinctive voice and the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you do something unique here today and, the, and throughout the day and pray for each here that you would give them and equip them with exactly what you intend for them to have. Thank you, God, for the great assignment to go into all the world and make disciples. We want to surrender to that, God, so that we'll be aligned with your heart. So navigate us through the day, we ask, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to bring you up today. For those of you who are coming in the back of the room, we have chairs coming in the way. So if you don't uh, mind just standing for a little bit, and we'll have, uh, we'll have chairs uh, uh, rolling. I'm going to give you a three-minute synopsis of where we were last night. So we, in, in the church culture, we recognize that uh, in so many uh, environments, we have two circles. So we call this the two-circle operating system. We pointed out last night there's nothing wrong with these circles. These circles are, 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 are distinctive and they're beautiful. And, uh, and Jesus used these circles. And so the big circle represents a, more of a crowd, which for us would be a typical worship service where we're all gathered as a church. The mid-sized circle is groups of some kind. That means Bible studies, home groups, life groups, connect groups, whatever you call them. Um, and so both of these circles, of course, Jesus uh, used. He's, he had the crowds, of course, and he also had the mid-circle. Last night, we looked at the content and the relationship that you can find in these circles. We found that in Jesus' content, and so, same for us, it tends to be more common, uh, more common. Uh, in other words, this was the, the, the parables and the principles, blessed are the poor in spirit, the Sermon on the Mount, very, uh, very open for everyone. When we got into the group with the disciples, could you make that a little more clear? Could you explain the parable? Could you break it down? When it came to relationships, so this is uh, content. When it came to relationships, we've, we found out that it was uh, that in in the big circle in Sunday morning church, so, so to speak, the relationships are more casual. When you come to the mid-sized circle, the, the relationships tend to be more close. But we looked at some, uh, some uh, of our results that we're getting in our church culture, and we said, is there something missing based on some of the results that we're seeing in the everyday people of our church? Today, in this session, we're going to champion 
who we call Soccer Mom Sally and Truck Driver Ted. What do I mean by that? The theme of this session today is super critical for us as leaders. And the theme is this, unless you get everyday people involved in disciple making, you'll never have a culture of it. Unless you have everyday people in disciple making, you'll never uh, have a movement in your church of disciple making. That means that it is not just the leadership. So often I talk to a pastor and say, hey, what's happening in discipleship in your church? And then what they say is, well, uh, I'm discipling three people. But the excitement comes from how do we launch this in such a way that everyday people are not only discipling, but getting down to what we would call the small circle level. And this was the one-to-one intersections that Jesus had, first of all, starting with John, right? So we have Peter, James, and John in that micro group but he had a very unique relationship with John. I won't go through all the details of that, but there are many, many, many layers of relational depth that he had with John. What we're aiming for here in this small circle is what we call interweaving, I-N-N-E-R, if you're listening on the podcast, interweaving. And the reason we use that uh, that language from uh, 1 Samuel uh, 18, where the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. There's an interweaving, and when we get to that level, the relationship and the content change. So it's no longer common in the big group, clear in the mid-circle, but it now becomes customized. And those those, uh, conversations are personalized to that, unique to that person. Like Jesus to Nicodemus, Jesus to Zacchaeus, Jesus to the woman at the well is a beautiful example where that conversation was only meant for her. In relationship, not only we're, we're no longer casual in the big circle, close in the, in, in the mid-sized circle, but now we're confidential. And as we saw last night, this makes such an incredible, incredible uh, difference when you can get down to that Paul, Timothy, David, Jonathan, Jesus, John relationship. So today, we're going to say, hey, how do we actually do that? We talked a lot about concepts last night. I'm going to show you some of our tools in this session, but I want you to know, I always like you to know that our tools are uh, no cost. Uh, About 10 or 11 years ago, uh, I had uh, a conviction episode with God, and uh, just really convicted to say, hey, how do we equip the, the uh, church culture with these tools without uh, having any cost? We planted our church 17 years ago. We know what it's like to not be able to turn the lights on and uh, even get uh, kids' curriculum. Uh, God has opened the doors for us. We're in over 100 countries around the world, and uh, we provide all of it, with the translations and the printing. And so we, we, it sounds like we're being generous, we're not. We're just regifting. We we feel like everything is from God, and we're just giving it back. And so so I I say that uh, because I I want you to know I'm great. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, I I want you to know that this is not a, a sales thing. This is a hey. We want. I'm a pastor. That's my heart. I want to come alongside and say how do we equip everyday people to get to this level? So often. We, we have, and we understand that disciple making, this is what this conference is all about. Disciple making happens at many different levels and many different environments. But to get to this level, I will tell you as a pastor in my 41st year of ministry, that the last 10 to 11 years of, of intentionally strategizing towards this small circle, we have seen unparalleled life change and unparalleled relational depth that you that is very difficult to find in, in other environments, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump in. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. Normally I have you move around the room, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna have you stand, and uh, we call this human voting stations. All right, I'm gonna give you some of the disciplines of our everyday people everyday people in our church, and I want you to stand uh, in this multiple choice when you think the right answer is. So we're going to take a look, an assessment of the church culture. And, in the, and we do that because I believe strongly that you assess the things that you love. 
If you're a business owner and you don't want to look at the P&L at the end of the year, you're probably going to go bankrupt. If you really love your business, you're going to keep analyzing and keep, and keep looking at it and, and assessing and how are we doing. So I want to look at the average, just a, f- a few of the average um, uh, or everyday people in our church and the spiritual disciplines that they're, they're, uh, they're exercising in their life. So let me give you an example. We're going to begin by talking about prayer. And the, and the question is, what is the average number uh, of minutes a day that the, the typical everyday evangelical spends with God? Now, let me explain that. I'm not talking, you know, we're, we're uh, charged and, and, and asked by the word of God, commanded by the word of God to pray without ceasing. I got that. But I'm talking about that carved out, undistracted time alone like Jesus prayed in the morning. So if you're a parent in the room uh, and you're driving the kids to work and the kid is screaming in the back seat and you're like, dear God, please shut them up. That doesn't count for this kind of prayer. All right. We're talking about the the undistracted uh, prayer uh, that we're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm alone with God and nothing distracted. All right. Let me give you the four choices. The everyday evangelical in America spends 60 minutes a day like that in prayer. 30 minutes a day like that in prayer, 15 minutes a day like that in prayer, or two minutes a day like that in prayer. So if you think the answer is 60 minutes, would you stand? Okay? You must be pastors and leaders in this room. (laughs) If you think it's 30 minutes, would you stand? If you think it's, yes, one in the back. 30 minutes a day. Excellent. Now, you know what we call you? Optimistic. Yeah, thank you. We need you. Yes, thank you. If you think it's 15 minutes a day, would you stand? Okay, two of you. Wow. Three of you. Wow. Okay, and if you think it's two minutes a day, would you stand? Now, before you sit down, I didn't tell you something you already didn't know. Number one. Number two, this is what God sees. You have the right answer. It's two. Okay, have a seat. Let me do another one. Let's talk about the sensitive issue of giving back to God. Shouldn't be sensitive, but giving back to God. And let's use the word tithe as uh, as a representative. I have God gave me ten apples. I'm going to give one back. All right. What percentage of evangelicals uh, in America are willing to give God one apple back, one uh, tithe back to to, to Him? Okay. Um, uh, so let me just give you the percentage. Fifty percent. We'll do it again. Fifty percent. Twenty-five percent. 15%, 5%, okay? The percentage of American evangelicals who are willing to give back to God a, a tithe. So if you think that it is uh, 50%, stand, okay? 25%, thank you. Another optimistic person. Yes, get out. No, just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, 15%, okay, one, yes, a little more, gradually. And thank you, and 5%. All right. Well, I tricked you. It's none of the above. Thank you, maybe seated. It's roughly 2.5%. Let's say about 3%. We've traveled a lot around the world, and when I say that to other countries, they, they literally every time gasp because they have a different view of Americans that one of the wealthiest countries of the world, they can't, under, they can't fathom. Now, what we're talking about here is predicaments of the heart. Billy Graham said, show me a person's checkbook and I'll show you where their heart is. Jesus said something very similar, where your treasure is, there's your heart, right? Let me do one more. What percentage of American evangelicals have ever discipled another person, one-to-one, Paul, Timothy, Jesus, John, David, Jonathan style? What percentage of American evangelicals have ever discipled someone intentionally like that? 50%, would you stand? 25%, 10%, 9%, 25%, 10 percent, nine, 8%, 1%. That's the answer. Yeah, you can keep your seat. Sorry. 1%. So we must engage the everyday people of our church. We must engage the everyday people of our church. So I want to show you if we're going to create some tools, here are, I think, some of the, the necessary things we must talk about. 
as I'm erasing this thing, which requires quite a bit of muscle, um, and so I'm erasing this, uh, thank you. <laughs> Let me just say that um, there are downsides of using tools. Let's just get the elephant in the room taken care of. There are downsides of using tools. It doesn't matter what they are. Let me cover them. Uh, tools can, can be dry and academic. That means we're going to get together and, hey, Bill, what'd you put on question one? Hey, what'd you put on question two? What'd you put on question three? It can, it can turn Sunday school-ish, right? It can turn academic. Number two, we can mistake information transfer for transformation. Transfer inf transferring information is not disciple making, especially in the information generation, which we're already through, by the way. But you can get as much information as you want on any, uh, anywhere, anytime, any, any, any place, any YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. So that is not discipleship. So when you have tools, when you have books or mobile apps or whatever that is, you, you, you can have a challenge that that might turn out to be that way. Um, and then finally, I would say sometimes with tools, you can miss that life on life component. Uh, in other words, hey, I just want to talk to you about your life. No, we got to get to page seven, right? So there's, there's, those are the downsides. I think the upsides, obviously, uh, they outweigh the downsides. Number one, I believe tools keep you on track. We're going to decentralize discipleship in our church. So we, so what I mean by that, it's like sending the 72 out. And that can get nutty real quick. And so you need tools at least to say, hey, on your first session, Bob, let's not talk about the beast in the book of Revelation, shall we? So you, you need some guidance for, for people. I believe that when you use tools, this is super incredible, super important, I think. Without tools, we rarely see as much replication as we do with some kind of plan or strategy. Every Every single uh, church has a, has a handful of Yodas. My church does. There's a guy in our church. He's, he's 80 years old. Has a beautiful, he's just seasoned. He could go to Panera Bread, uh, you know, Starbucks, open up the Bible and say, hey, how you doing? And uh, you say, well, I'm having a little struggle at home. Okay, well, let's look over here. And man, he just does it so naturally. The problem is, and we're going to, this is our, one of our keys today. The problem is that when you're sitting with a Yoda, your confidence level typically doesn't track up. Usually it tracks down. You're like, I could never do that. I could never just go and, and just open the Bible and just let it rip. And so tools help build confidence. So there's that replication factor, but tools build confidence. For those of you that are like me, your pastors, I challenge you to preach on discipleship this Sunday. Every head in the room will be going, yep, I got it. Great commission. Yes, sir. Now meet them in the hallway afterwards and say, now it's your turn. And then you'll see them, you'll see the blank face. So it gives them the confidence. I do believe that we can be comprehensive with tools. And that's kind of where we're going to start. We're going to be, we can be comprehensive. So let's say, for example, we have a disciple and his name is Marco and he's going to travel. And like Stephen Covey said, we're going to begin with the end in mind. So if you were going to create tools, then we're going to say, wow, what, it, what would he look like when he gets to the end of that journey? What would he look like? And so if, if we say, hey, he should be this, he should be doing this, then that's going to determine the tools. It's pretty obvious, right? So if he's going to be a CPA in, in, in college, then you're going to need this track to prepare him. So we want him to be comprehensive, and that's kind of where we begin. I propose to you that there are four different uh, areas of spiritual growth. And again, I don't think these are going to be anything innovative, but we're just strategizing intentionally. Those areas are, we want a solid understanding of the Word of God. And a solid understanding, let me say, of basic beliefs. So I read an article in Christianity Today just a couple of weeks ago, and the percentages were so disturbing. The percentages of evangelicals who no longer believe that the Word of God is the infallible, breathed Word of God is disturbing. The, the percentage of uh, evangelicals 
who um, no longer believe in the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is disturbing. We're losing ground when it comes to the traction of our core beliefs. So I believe that, you know, Marco, when he finishes, we want him to have a solid understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and why with the resurrection and, and what was the importance of that? Why did Paul say, if Christ is not risen, we're still in our sins? Uh, we want him to have an understanding of the word of God. We want him to have these understandings of the cross. So, uh, so an understanding, a foundation, and, and uh, just ground level beliefs, ground zero beliefs. We want him to have a passionate relationship with God. That means a, a, a vibrant prayer life. So we get past this, this ridiculous two minutes of, of, of this short, even not even a conversation with God. How does he love the word of God, not just read the word of God? How does he begin to, to set principles that we've kind of lost in this culture, which is like fasting and, and uh, studying and getting away with God? How does he how does uh, he have relationships in the third quadrant here? How does he have relationships that, that really get down to that small circle level? I don't know about you, but as a, as a pastor, I'm 64 years old here in a month or so. Um, if you were to ask me when I reached the end of my journey, hey, what was your greatest disappointment? And my greatest disappointment, maybe yours is different, but one of my greatest disappointments is the shallow, immature way that believers handle conflict. We should be the greatest forgivers on earth. We should bear the, the differences of others greater than anybody on earth. And yet it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot for the sheep to migrate these days, to, to not handle conflict. What if we could, what if we could uh, have a disciple maker culture where we actually did forgive one another and bear one another's uh, burden, et cetera? Okay, if we do all of these things and we've lost this, we, we haven't done this final, this final quadrant, I think we failed because this, just be, this can become consumeristic, even in a deep way. So we finally we want Marco to be a uh, a multiplier. So when we have put together our tools, we want to like let's focus in on each uh, of these items. So I'm going to pass out for you. We probably could use a little volunteer help if we can. Maybe some some folks on this side. I'm going to pass out to you a sample book. But I want you to raise your right hand and say after me. I do promise that I will not read another page through this book until told so. <laughs> Thank you. Here's why I say that. For those of you like me who are type A's, when I'm talking about page two, you're already reading page 14, right? So just, <laughs> yes, we have a confession going off here, all right, on the front row, yes. So hey, just keep these closed. I kind of want to walk you through them. I'll take a copy. Uh, thank you. Yes, we got some going over here. These are just sample books. We do ask for them back just because we can use them for other sessions and we don't run out. Let me give you a reason why we call this tool exchange. There are three reasons. Um, when you have the, the X uh, symbol and it's kind of our, kind of our logo, uh, the X symbol is, represents one life coming together with a, another one. You'll notice there's a red circle in the middle. That's because if you superimpose it circles over an American football field, which is about 100 yards, the, the, the big circle is about 50 yards. This is the next 30 yards. And this last 20 yards is called what? The, the red zone. Are you with me? Anybody watch football here? All right. Okay. The red zone. This, listen, discipleship should be difficult. We're making things too easy in, the, in, our, in our church culture. It should be difficult. And so uh, we believe that one life coming together uh, with another should be, should be a challenge, should have some blood, sweat, and tears. X in algebra is invariable. It's an invariable. We don't know when you disciple someone, it's not always going to be a success story. And X also in, in mathematics is a, a multiplication sign. So we're multiplying change. It's just kind of, a, a, it's a, just a, a, a little bit of explanation on the, on the, uh, uh, of the title. Okay, so I want you to turn, if you would, if you just open up the first page. 
And I have spies throughout the room. If you're page on, on page 14, by the way. On page one, if you look on page one, this is kind of the overview of our tools. There are six sessions in every, uh, in every what we would call a module. So it begins in the right upper corner, zero. So zero, if you notice, by the way, the, the, the numbering system, the first book is zero, the second book is one, the third book is two, and the fourth book is three. This has frustrated many people to my great delight. <laughs> let's just engage our brains, right? And let's think about it. So, uh, when, so the reason, though, is that these do correspond with what we're trying to accomplish. Zero module is ground zero beliefs. How do, we, how do we start at ground zero? Module one is how to make God first. We're putting God first and, and lordship and giving back to everything that we're doing. Module two is how do we get to that table for two, that deeper relationship. And as we say, baby makes three. Three is all about uh, uh, engaging in multiplication. So each of these sessions, I'm just going to touch a little bit on them so we don't, I don't uh, bore you with this, but I, I, I want you to know that each of these have six sessions, and I'm going to talk about the rhythm of, of this. In our next session, in our second session of today, it is all about, it is, I would say that the second session of today is the secret sauce of these tools. If you were to just thumb through the books, you're like, okay, looks kind of like a workbook. But in our second session, I'm going to uh, share with you how we get beyond information transfer. How we get beyond information transfer. Jesus taught in many different ways. And we're going to look at the, the absorption, how human beings best absorb. We absorb by, by seeing and hearing and using our senses, not just by hearing, as we're going to see. We learn, so every session has what we call a lab and so I'm going to, I'm wetting your appetite a little bit because those labs are the secret recipe of, of Kentucky fried chicken that uh, is somewhere buried in a safe. Yes. Yeah. 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 The question is, uh, yeah, the question is, and by the way, um, I thank you for asking the question. I put these little tab, uh, the sticky notes on your desk. And if you have any question, by the way, you can post it. We'll just you know, put it on a wall. We'll have one of my team uh, get it for you. But that's great. When I say session, what do I mean? What I mean by that is, um, so we're going to get together, let's say 0 0.1. We consider that a session. So there's going to be assignments, as you see, on both ends for the disciple maker and the disciple. And we're going to come together and we're going to have a session because that, that's what that means. So in our second session for today, uh, whenever time that is, we're going to talk about the labs and we're going to talk about how to get beyond information transfer. Okay. If you turn the page, here's what a session looks like when you get together with a disciple maker and a disciple. There's a coach, there's content, and there's a conversation. What we beg people to do is don't come together and say, hey, would you put on question one? Would you put on question two, et cetera, et cetera. And the last time, our last session for today, we'll talk about the mobile app. And the mobile app, there's some features in the mobile app that are really incredible. I'm a book reader. I love books. I love paper. I love the smell of books. I use the mobile app one time, and I'll never go back to the books. So we'll do that in our last session for today. Now, let me give you a sample of what the a chapter looks like. If you look at page four and five, there is a disciple maker tool and a disciple tool. In the mobile app, there's a disciple maker choice and a, and a disciple choice. So the, what you're looking at is the disciple maker, a chapter from the disciple maker uh, book, 0 0.1. The disciple maker guide is like a coach. Here's why. Our target in disciple making is the soccer mom Sally and the, and the truck driver Ted of your church. And if you invite them to a, a three or four hour training and they got that big three ring notebook and you give it to them, they're going to, their inadequacy is going to deepen because they can't remember all that training. And what we're saying is by a huge training, this is super complicated. This is really super difficult. 
And so what we did instead is say, hey, let's give them a coach on every single chapter, on every single uh, uh, session. So the disciple maker coach or guide comes in for every session. The disciple does not see this page. So what, as you look at it, again, I'm not going to go through a lot of it, but um, there's the focus on the chapter. That's how, that helps them keep you know, on track. There's a word of advice. For example, we talk about in this first session, we talk about um, the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we say, hey, take it easy. This is the first session. We have not been able to fully understand the mystery of the Trinity in centuries, so let's not give it a shot now. We're just referring to the Trinity, right? And so just every session has a word of advice. Hey, watch out for this. Be careful for this. So it's as if a coach is whispering in the ear of the disciple maker saying, hey, here's some things you might keep in mind. The lab is on the bottom. I'm going to skip that because we'll get to the next, uh, we'll get that to the next session. The story starters, we'll get also to this in the next session that we'll have today. But we, we, one of the ways that we get past uh, information transfer is journaling. We find there's a lot of power in journaling. This is something that we've kind of lost. In, in previous ages, they journaled a lot. So we, we journal, we talk about, hey, what, do you, what is that? In case someone's never journaled, here's some help to, to get that going. We, we memorize scripture. We, we say, hey, let's ruminate. I never, I don't like the word to memorize, to be honest with you. We're ruminate. So we're like ruminating on the scripture. And then we're going we're gonna to let that dig down deep. There's some things to pray for. There's always a thought-provoking question the disciple doesn't see. It's usually pop culture oriented. So in this case, we're talking about relationships. So we say, hey, I want you to think about the greatest challenge that you have relationally with other people and and think about what that is and if a movie producer came along and made a movie about that greatest challenge what would the name of the movie be so what we're doing is like hey let's breathe some life in this i'll give you an example when i'm meeting with someone i grew up in virginia it's a southern culture the name of my movie is called southern coward now, I don't know if you know much about the, the Southern culture for those of you that live more northward, but here's how the Southern culture works. You come over for dinner. We have dinner. I say at the end of dinner when you're walking out the door, hey, y'all come back. You hear? We shut the door. I'm like, boy, I hope they never come back again. <laughs> That's called Southern hospitality. <laughs> Now, not all Southerners are like that, but uh, that's, what, that's the culture we grew up. So it has been challenging for me in relationships to be, hey, let me be straightforward with you, not unkind. And so it's a fun way. It's a life-giving way to say, let's talk about, customize toward you, what is your greatest challenge? Try to do that in a group setting, and you'll find it difficult. You'll get more of a more of a, sh a shallow answer to that, but you can really begin to dig down deep. And finally, one of the great beauties of one-to-one -one discipleship, let's say this is a math class and we're doing calculus one and only 25% of the class understands what's really going on. Most likely you're not going to raise your hand, but as the teacher, I got to move on to the next topic, even though you may not understand it. In the, in, it's like that in a group. If we have a group, and by the way, we're pro-group, by the way, so this is not anti-group talk, so we, we have many groups in our church, but we recognize, as we did last night, we recognize what the limitations of each of these circles are, all three of them. And so when, we, we're, when we're in a group, and let's say we're talking about forgiveness, and someone really has a challenge with forgiveness, how many weeks can we hold up for Bob, who's challenged with forgiveness? But when you're in a one-to-one, -one, you can hold up for as long as you want. One guy I traveled one-to-one -one with two and a half years together. He didn't have a father. He didn't grow up with a father. He was a Peter-like uh, character, his personality, and it was difficult. We said, hey, let's put, the, let's put these tools aside. Let's read a book together. I want to read something on relationships. I want to read something on forgiveness and the father's wound and all those types of things. And we just paused. And it was wonderful because we could. So, when, so every session in exchange has this before moving on. Hey, before moving on, let's take a check. And let's ask ourselves the question, are we seeing movement? Is there understanding? Is there an embracing of what we're talking about just, just so that we're not just going through the tools? 
If you look, if you turn the page to, to page uh, six and seven and eight, you'll see, uh, or sorry, six and seven, you'll see an introduction. This is just a two pages, always two pages. We say short, but not shallow. And so the assignment is the disciple will read, will read this on his or her own. And the disciple maker will read this on his or her own. And then when they come together, it's a point of discussion. What stood out to you? What did you learn about yourself? Where did you learn about God? Was there anything challenging, anything you didn't understand? It's, th this is pretty basic, so I'm not going to spend some t much time on it. If you turn the page, there's a worksheet. We're trying to get the, the disciple to, to uh, begin to study on his or her own. So to get that rhythm, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And so when we come into the session, what we do with the, we say to the disciple maker, hey, we want to make sure that you're having a conversation and you're not just having a classroom study. In our next session here today, what we're going to talk about is light bulb learning versus classroom learning. It is fascinating when you look at the ministry of Jesus. So there's a worksheet for them to do. So what we say is, as a disciple maker, we encourage the person to say, hey, pick one or two of these questions. I'm like, hey, I'm interested in what you said uh, when you, you know, to this question. When you use the mobile app, that goes away, by the way. There's a, there's a feature in the mobile app that you don't have to ask what they're, what they're writing. But we, we just have the conversation again. And then on page 11, you'll see a place for journaling. We see a place for journaling. If you turn the page to page 12, you'll see on the left there the disciple guide. So that's the only difference are the guides, the disciple maker guide and the disciple uh, uh, guide. Otherwise, the introduction and the worksheets, they're identical in each one. Okay, everybody tracking? Up to this point, if I'm new and I'm sitting in your chair, I'm like, okay, I'm not, you know, this, this uh, seems a, a little typical. Well, I'm, again, whetting your appetite for the next section because, or the session that we'll have, because we're going to take this and we're going to breathe life into it through what we call these labs. And these labs bring all of this to life. So, the, so what you're seeing is only a, just a partial of what I'm saying, just because we're kind of spreading this out throughout the day. Here's what I want to say to you and kind of shift gears. I want to talk to you about pacing because this is super, super critical to understanding the soccer mom, Sally, and the truck driver, Ted, and your church. Okay. Now, I recognize that it's very difficult to change the Titanic of systems around. There, to plant a church, for those of you who've done it, there's a lot of hardship. But one of the great joys is that you can set the cells of, and the footprint of where you want to go. We planted a church 17 years ago. And I was determined, after serving in a church of five or 6,000 uh, people for a dozen years, I was determined to say, how do we champion disciple-making at a table for two for Soccer Mom Sally? Let me tell you, let me give you a profile of who I'm talking about with Soccer Mom Sally. Soccer Mom Sally is a single mom. She's got an elementary school. Let's say she's, a, she's got a fourth-grade daughter, and she's got a middle, middle school son. Soccer mom Sally works a full day of work. She has to get at work at 8.30 and she gets off at 5 o'clock. That means she wakes up around 5.30 or 6 to make sure the kids are fed for breakfast before they get going and everybody's got their hair combed and all that stuff and not forgetting their books. She goes out the door. She gets her kids to two different schools. Then she goes to work. There's an after-school program for her kids because she's got to work till 5 o'clock. With traffic and whatnot, she picks up her kids at 5.30. With traffic and whatnot, she finally rolls home and walks through that front door at 6.15. Sally's pretty tired by this point, but she's going to make dinner. And then she's going to get those kids in, in the bath or a shower. She's going to get the projects and the homework done. And uh, then she's going to get them in bed. She's going to have some God time with them. And it's about 9.15. And Sally is exhausted. You know what she's going to do tomorrow? She's going to do the same thing. And you know what she's going to do next day? She's going to do the same thing. And you know what she's going to do next day? She's going to do the same thing. It's going to be rinse and repeat for five days in a row. Her church comes along and said, we, need you to, we want you to be faithful on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. In fact, we'd like you to serve. Hey, you have kids. Why don't you serve full time in the kids ministry? And then what we're going to ask you to do is come to a group every Wednesday night. Hope you can make it. 
And uh, that's how you're really going to get connected here. And then we hope that you'll have, we're encouraging you to have friends that don't know Christ yet so that you can share your faith with them. And we have an event coming up on Saturday, and we hope you and the kids can come. And soccer mom Sally, who's already exponentially exhausted, is now confused and dazed. And how does she do this? And then what we're going to do is say, hey, Sally, got a new idea for you. We're going to do disciple making. Aren't you excited? And we can't figure out why in the world we can't get the soccer mom Sally's of our church involved. Somehow we have to at least acknowledge that. That's the first thing. We have to at least acknowledge the people in our church. And I say this very sensitively, but those of us in a ministry, we can forget what it's like to live that lifestyle. When we planted our church, I was bivocational for, for the first six years working three jobs. It's the best thing. I, it was a, an education I did not get in seminary. And so we're sensitive to that. Here's what we did. Now, I'm not prescribing this to you, but again, this, this whole session today is how do we get Soccer Mom Sally involved? Here's what we did. We have had many churches adjust to this if you're serious about getting Soccer Mom Sally, Truck Driver Ted to a table for two. What we did is we put our groups every other week. I know I have just lost half of you. You don't like me anymore. We put our groups every other week so that every other week on the alternate weeks, we left empty parking spaces so that because we were serious about one-to-one disciple making. Now, let's say you don't do that. Uh, and you're gonna, you have groups and they're going every week. I'm not suggesting you roll back home and say, hey, we're going to change this up. But if you don't, if you keep groups and you have groups and you're going to do them every week, I still suggest that you do disciple making at this one-to-one table every other week with the tools. Here's why I say that. If you do the tools every single week, it will feel like it's about the tools. It will feel like it's about the book. Why? Again, keep in mind Soccer Mom Sally. She's busy. She's got to do this. She's got to do a little homework. She's, she's trying to ruminate on the Bible verse. She's got a worksheet to do. She's got, you know, some reading to do. And if you, and so what will happen is if you're meeting Soccer Mom Sally at 5.30 on a Friday, she's going to be doing her, her tools, trust me, on Thursday night somewhere around 11 p.m. Give, give some space. If you still say, hey, I want to meet with my disciple every week, go for it. But just don't do the tools every week. Go to lunch, go to coffee, go to, to take a walk. I do a lot of early morning walks with my disciple. It's before each of us go to work. And man, there's a park nearby. We have amazing conversations uh, in, in the park and just walking. So you've got to be sensitive, got to be sensitive to this pacing. There's another reason, and here's the here's a, here's a big one. So let's say so if let's say you you buy into these tools, and so you're gonna use the tools, and each set each of these tools has six sessions, right? Six chapters or six sessions when you're gonna meet. If you meet every other week, then it's gonna take you twelve weeks to get through this section. All right, thanks. Right? It's going to take you 12 weeks to get through this module. Are you tracking? That's roughly three months, right? So, there, so this equals 24 uh, weeks, or roughly half a year, six months. If you're gasping right now, because that is a long time, if you're gasping, let me just make maybe the strongest statement that I'll make in this entire conference. You cannot speed up relational depth. We have proven by this point that injecting steroids into chickens didn't turn out to be such a great idea. And genetically modifying our produce turned out to not to be a great idea. We can't genetically modify or inject steroids into relationships and expect to get to a safe, confidential, customized level 
that when we can actually live out Ephesians 4.15, where we speak the truth in love because we're safe now so that we grow up into all things, not just some things. That's why we have such partial growth in our church culture and the results that we talked about and you affirmed earlier, it's because we're trying to inject steroids into our, uh, into our relationships. I'm this close from preaching, I'll pair it back. <laughs> So one of the reasons that, we're, we're, that I suggest that you do every other week is that so that we can slow down. Something happens. If I were a psychologist, perhaps I could explain it. But I'm just an average guy. I don't know, but this one thing I do know, after discipling men across the years, something happens at the six-month mark. It's like magic, although it can't be magic because we're a church, so you can't say that word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's, there's something ha that happens in the relationship. So respectfully, it's difficult to understand for me a track or a program that goes 10 weeks or 20 weeks. The, the relational engine, respectfully said, is just warming up. Is just warming up. One of the things that we do in this session and uh, that we'll talk about in our next session is the labs. In the Garden of Eden, something cataclysmic happened, as we know. Many things happen. And we're downstream of, of that cataclysmic error on, on, in Adam and Eve. And, and part of that is that we talked about it last night. We're master hiders. We're master hiders. We promote our best self and we protect our worst self. And it takes a while to chisel that wall that Adam built. This is why social media is so popular. I have yet to see on social media, hey, here's a, here's a picture of me and my wife. We're having the worst argument that we've ever had. No, it's your best meatloaf. It's what, you know, your cat making tricks, you know, rolling around tricks or whatever it is, right? We promote our best side. We protect our worst side. Guys, listen. If you missed, if you didn't miss anything, the everyday people in our church, because we're humans, we need this. I thought this was an American phenomenon until I trained in Beirut, I trained in Cairo, trained in Amman, Jordan, we trained in uh, many Latin American countries, trained in Ukraine. Guess what? It is the same anywhere in the world because it is a human issue, not a cultural issue. Every single one of us. Yes. Thank you. It's a great question. So the question is, is it different for men and women? Do you wanna, do you wanna answer that at all? I think women overall just share their lives in general. You know, we get together and we talk. But I think as women, we have a different challenge in that we can busy ourselves so much with our kids and those conversations that are happening at home. We also don't dig down into the self of how we are doing underneath. So I think we have our own issues as women. Men have to break through that barrier of intimacy altogether. But I think women can just, we're like Linus. We kick up all the dust around us and we can hide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So my perspective is that um, women uh, and men, there are some differences. I think men are, tend to be more guarded. That's my observation, but it's coming from a man's perspective. Uh, we looked at some uh, statistics last night, and let me just hit a couple of those. One statistic says that 93% of American men have no best friend. I read an article in Psychology Today, 50% of Americans have not formed a best friend. 50% of Americans, men and women, 50% of Americans have not formed a best friend in the last five years. Think about that. Last night, again, I won't repeat it in this session, but we looked at the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in our country. And uh, it is, it is, it's, it's crazy deep. It takes time to build out of that. Okay. All right. Here's another thing. Let me, let me show you. Um, we're often asked, what is the multiplication? So we, our goal, and I think the goal of, of, of every organization of this conference, our goal is to 
produce Timothy reproducing disciple makers. Our goal is to produce Timothy reproducing disciple makers. There's four generations in 2 Timothy 2. Paul to Timothy to invest in faithful men to teach others, right? So there's a four generation uh, uh, command there. So we're not just looking to pour information into people. We're looking for investors. Here's how we, here's how we do this. And it takes, again, time. So one of the reasons that we are that we we structure it this like this and we suggest every other week is by the time you get to the six month mark something is different. But for uh, so my background is actually music. I came to Christ when I was studying to be a concert pianist. Um, and when you play that game and you play at that level, it's uh, the investment is steep. So I started when I was six years old. For many years, I practiced eight hours a day, seven days a week. 364 days a year. I took Christmas Day off and uh, did that for a number of years. And so for 25 years, I took piano lessons. Teacher, student, 25 years. Someone looking over my shoulder at a one-to-one -one level saying, you know, you missed the F sharp in measure 13. You know, your pedaling is overpedaled on page three. You're rushing the last page, by the way, and your left hand is too loud on page six. When I came to do my first professional concert after, after 25 years of this, I felt completely lost. I had become dependent on the voice of someone else. And I'm thinking to myself, am I playing it too fast? Am I overpedaling? And I'm, I kind of went in a freak out mode. I brought that into these tools and saying, how do we, because one of the arguments against one-to-one -one discipleship is that the disciple can become codependent on the disciple maker. So here's how we address that. In the first book, in book zero, we have a disciple maker book and a disciple book. In book one is the disciple book, a disciple maker book and a disciple book. In the third book, which is book number, you're doing better than my church, that's awesome. There is no disciple book. There's no disciple book. And the reason is, that we're trying to avoid that same thing, like we're going to disciple you, disciple you, disciple you, disciple you. It's your turn now. We're going to build the muscle of the disciple six months before he or she starts. So now we're going to say, we want you to speak into our lives. So if you look in your sample book and you look, let's say, page 16, we've put tools in here. These are self-assessments. And so this is the actual real test that's, uh, that's in this is my this is my results actually, and so when you look at the results, so it's asking, hey, are you driven to get things done? Are you assertive? Are you how do you handle change? These kinds of things, and we're beginning to invite the disciple to speak into our life as a disciple maker. It's healthy for us as disciple makers. We're avoiding the expert culture where we are always, as disciple makers, the expert. We're building the disciple makers, the disciples muscle so that he or she begins to disciple us in a certain way. They're beginning to get that, that, that energy, that muscle, that rhythm uh, going towards us. And then we begin to say, then this now is more of an iron sharpening iron relationship. When we get to the final module, it's all about multiplication, that uh, why you should be a multiplier. Here's how you choose a disciple maker. It's all about. So for the last six months, we're still in this discipleship uh, relationship, but it's all about taking soccer mom Sally and producing a Timothy and invest a reproducing Timothy. So people ask us, what's the percentage, success percentage of disciples using these tools to, that they become disciple makers? It's 80%. It's 80%. I encourage you to, to make this your goal in your church, your ministry, your organization. If you can reach the fourth generation, if you can reach the fourth generation in your church, with disciple making. That means that you've discipled someone who's discipled someone who's discipled someone who's discipled one. So a fourth generation, you will experience a tipping point and now you've changed the culture that you truly are a disciple making culture. 
Our church is now in the sixth and seventh, coming into the seventh generation. And I'm going to tell you, as a pastor who's done too much on his own, it is so exciting to see a different culture. So in our church, we have about 100 and 100, about 150, 160 people in one-to-one disciple-making. It's changed the culture of our church. People walk in our church, and they go, it's, it's different here. And they don't know what word to put on it. Our goal for our church is not to be a friendly church. We're, we want to be a, a church of deep friends, and there's a difference there. So I don't think people's lives are changed as much if, if we're only friendly. We're trying to get away from that. We're trying to get to this deeper end. So uh, again, I encourage you to uh, consider you know, this pacing again. Whether you put groups every week, every other week, that, that's fine. One more tool before we, get, uh, we close here. Just got a few minutes. So when we ran the tool uh, exchange for a few years, uh, we were beginning to ask people who led someone else to Christ, uh, someone to Christ, we say, hey, do you think this tool is too heavy for a brand new big believer? They just came to Christ last week, and we kept saying, we kept getting the answer, I think it is. So I wrote a tool called Next. It's on page uh, 27. Yeah, 26. Yeah, 26. It's super duper simple. We've seen this uh, be a, a great help to brand new believers. If you look at the first uh, in the top left, we begin with, hey, let's talk about your new identity. You're now a child of God. You're in the body of Christ, you know, etc. Et let's talk about how to read, start reading the Bible, how to start praying. Let's talk about believers' baptism. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit in the most basic terms? What do you do with temptation? And do you think that God still loves you no matter what? How to share your testimony, the importance of the local church, why serving is important, uh, determining the basics of the will of God and being unbiblically dependent. If you turn to page 28, you'll see this is, a, this is an entire chapter. It's just two pages. Again, we're trying to make it super simple for new believers. Only one assignment. There's a star beside a, a, a verse, a Bible verse, and we... Uh, we um, we ruminate on that. If you turn the page, there's a there's there's a, the second chapter, just to kind of give you an idea. One of the things that I'll close here with then is page 32. If you turn over, some people ask us about a, a disciple maker criteria. This is what we use. We again, we provide all of our tools. We feel we're just we want to be open handed with our tools. You can take you know th these criteria and uh, change it, modify it, slice it, dice it, ever what's good for you. But I do, if you're going to launch disciple making, it has to be, you, you must have a criteria for your disciple makers, whatever that is for you. And, and then Soccer Mom Sally will, will get involved, okay? I want to show you a two-minute animation before we, uh, we get going here and we, we close out. So uh, let, me, uh, let me start that. Let me just give you one encouraging moment from Star Wars, if I might. Um, we are what they grow beyond, said Yoda. I just want you to ruminate on that. We are what they grow beyond. Your identity, your success is not on what you've done, but on what your Timothy has done. There are soccer moms, Sally, in every church and every uh, organization and ministry represented in this room. And they are waited to, to, to get in the game. I'm going to actually use my last 60 seconds differently. I want to tell you about my mom who just went to be with the Lord in, in October. My mom passed when she was 94 years old. She was on her third disciple, discipling an 80-year-old. Um, she is a Bible studier. Uh, we came to Christ. I took her to a Billy Graham crusade about three weeks after I came to Christ. So we came to Christ within weeks of each other. And uh, she was a Bible teacher. I gave her uh, her last gift uh, last Christmas was uh, a, a Tony Evans commentary. I have it in my possession. Every single page, every single page has her writing all over it. So she loves studying the Bible and she loves leading Bible studies. But she also discipled this one-to-one -one level. And I asked her, Mom, what's the difference between leading those Bible studies and leading an individual? You know what she said? I feel like I'm in the game. I feel like all that I've learned, I'm able to pour out in someone else's life. My mom was a soccer mom, Sally. 
and she 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 uh, just poured her life out. About four years before she passed, she, the doctors came to us and said, "Your mom has cancer, and uh, her her kidney is completely full of cancer, and she has three weeks to live." And uh, and so my brother and I went to tell her that news. Of course, we were emotional, and we said, "Mom." Uh, this is what the doctor said, and we're going to shoot really straight with you. And uh, so we we had a little weeping together, and then she um, and and then uh, we said, "Well, mom, there's an option. You can remove the kidney." And she goes automatically, "Hey, let's get it out." There's no hesitation at all. It's kind of shocking. And we're like, "Well, we said we're going to be honest. The doctor said at your age, at 90 years old, this is a significant procedure." And the survival rate is not always high. She goes, no problem. Let's get it out. I'm like, okay, one more thing. If you survive the procedure, the word that the doctor used in regards to, to the rehab was brutal. It's going to be brutal rehab for you. She goes, not a problem. Let's get it out. I'm like, would you like to pray about this uh, at all? She said, no, I want to get it out. And uh, we said, okay, mom, we got to know. Why is there no hesitation? You know what she said? She said, I'm not finished with my disciple yet. That's how meaningful it is when we get soccer mom Sally involved in the game. Thanks for coming today. Hope you have a great day. Hope to see you in the next session.